the way that I pitch it when I'm interviewing people, right? I use the phrase rapid integration with confidence. But what that really means is being able to work with software like it's made of Lego bricks. I'm Aaron Davis. I'm the founder of Reckless Tech. We're a uh, tech staffing and executive search firm. I'm here with Matt Nouveau, CTO of Tangram Flex. Right. Tell me a little bit about Tangram Flex. Yeah, Tangram Flex is a software company uh, headquartered in Dayton, uh, but now we have remote people all around the country. Okay. Um, and we are about a five-year-old company, but we're a spin-out of a research company called Galois that's yeah. been doing computer science research for like 20 years. Okay. So we got a head start over a lot of startups with a lot of great tech that came our way right away and some customers right away. And we're really focused on transitioning from the research world, these great ideas into products that can solve real problems uh, on a large scale. And so when you started at Tangram, you didn't start as the as the chief there, you started as no, a developer. I, I'm one of the early ones. So I'm actually employee number eight uh, is because we count those things for fun. There's only a couple of people that have been there longer than me at this point, right? It's five year old, five and a half year old company. And I've been there five years. My anniversary is okay. coming up. Came in as sort of the first one with defense experience in engineering. So we intentionally have built a company with people with without defense experience and with defense experience, run them together creates like a healthy tension in the organization, I like to say, but uh, it's important for a variety of perspectives. We don't just have one way of thinking at, okay. at Tangram. So I came in as as kind of the first one that had built defense systems before, I worked at defense contractors. And as the company's grown, my, my responsibilities changed. I started out supporting customers and then kind of grew into more leadership roles as the company's grown. Um, and now I'm the CTL. So yeah. done done a lot of things at Tangram for sure. Congrats on that path. That's Thank cool. You. I'm curious about how you got your start in technology and working in the defense sector. Yeah. We'll rewind as far back as you want to go. <laughs> how so you get your start? I've got a computer engineering degree from University of Dayton. I'm a flyer. I went to my first flyer basketball game when I was very, very young. Been a fan a long time. And uh, liked computers as a kid, but I don't know. Just kind of liked to play games on computers as a kid, okay. to be honest. But yeah, I got a degree in computer engineering, got hired at Northrop Grumman here in Dayton, worked there about three years, uh, decided that the all the bureaucracy that comes to the large company wasn't my favorite thing in sure. the world. Uh, actually left with a group of people that I like to jokingly refer to as Northrop Grumman refugees um, and uh, helped stand up a Dayton division of a small business that was headquartered in Los Angeles. So we were working on kind of this, this great idea that we had. We uh, rode some ups and downs through that through that business. Uh, eventually, got successful, got acquired by General Dynamics. Oh, okay. um, so it was it was really exciting uh, that we, that we built this thing. Uh, that product that we built at the small company General Dynamics is now selling a lot of places mm -hmm. across the DoD, which is something that you know even though I don't work there anymore, I can feel proud of. Right, yeah. I worked on that, but decided that uh, the the role that I had at GD wasn't right for me after about a year. Um, so jumped in with this idea at Tangram. But yeah, I started my career doing hardware, software, engineering, developing both, uh, kind of a mix, um, and got a lot of early career experiences giving demonstrations and like kind of customer presentations. Uh, decided I kind of liked that, you know, got into helping oversee manufacturing. How do we build these things? This hardware and the software, how do we deliver it to customers? Got plugged into you know, sales and marketing, like, a lot. I got a, the chance to do a lot of different things early in my career. I like to bounce around and do a lot of things. Um, so that's been natural at Tangram as well. Just 
trying a lot of different things along the way. Yeah, that opportunity to go from large organization to small organization and then back, not everybody gets to do that because mm-hmm. sometimes you kind of get saturated in one or the other and it's hard to make the flex. Yeah. But that, congrats on being able to to pivot back and forth between big to small organization and leverage kind of the insight from each. Yes, and it's super helpful at Tangram too because it, it's been ironic for me. I, I, I left Northrop Grumman in 2011. I still understand kind of both the big and the small, which is fun. I'm in a micro organization now, right? There's four of us, five, depending on how, you know, what, which account or how, how in everybody is, right? Mm-hmm. But it's a micro organization. Now all of our customers are me, mid to large size company. So you joined Tangram then five years ago. So what's that journey been like? It's been the most fun I've ever had at work in, in my career by far and away. When I started, I said I was number eight. Uh, eight, nine, and ten started on the same day, so we were a ten-person company, mm-hmm. uh, which had a very small and, and a, a certain energy to that. Uh, really, really small. Like we all got in a circle and talked about what we were going to do that day when we started, right? And then we would complain because somebody was making coffee and it was making too much noise and we couldn't hear each other. <laughs> Uh, you know, we we did some just kind of really fun things. Like we bought a 3D printer. We made a, a burger press on our 3D printer that uh, could print the Tangram company logo into a hamburger. Didn't work very well. Got gross and disgusting, full of bacteria. We had to throw it out. But, you know, we did we did a lot of that kind of, of innovative, fun, trying to figure out what we were doing there. And definitely uh, over time, it's it's evolved, right? I think that energy is still there, but it's different when you have a 90-person company than when you have a 10-person company. So some of the journey was like, we were in Galois' office when we started, and we were growing rapidly. Galois' office is designed for 10 people, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, we were at 10 when I started already, and they had, they had four or five employees in Dayton. When we moved out of their office, we probably had 20 to 25. Oh, wow. Everybody was crammed tight in there, uh, which got a little tense at times, but yeah. was good uh, until we got our own office just across the street. So, you know, we were we were joking that it was like moving out of mom and dad's basement. But we got our office, you know, we kept growing. 2020 came along, everybody in every aspect of life. We were already accustomed to hybrid work. So we had uh, probably 10-ish people that lived in Cincinnati from the start. And they worked remotely two days a week. So we made the decision to send everybody remotely, but we didn't really fall, right? We we had the technology, we knew how to do this and held it together really well in a really trying time in the first part of 2020. And we made the decision through that time that, it w- that we would stay hybrid forever. We were never going to call everybody back to the office, but we weren't going to get rid of our office either, right? We weren't going to go fully remote. That was a journey, an interesting point along the way. And then just the continued growth that that we've gone through. People come, people go, and uh, more coming than going is yeah. is the way it's been um, at Tankroom, which I think is a good measure that we're doing something right. You said your team's kind of distributed now. Like, what, are they mostly local? Most people are still local okay. um, to Dayton or the Dayton Southwest Ohio, Region. right, yeah. Cincinnati area. We've had a few of our team members who have said personal family reason I need to move several states away or something like that. And we've supported them in that. Okay. Um, and then recently this year, we've started hiring people that have never lived in Ohio and don't have any intention to move to Ohio as well. So that that's kind of given us a spread. Everybody's in Eastern or Central time so far. Uh, so you're minimizing the complexities. Right. But, uh, you know, we're not limiting ourselves to that either. If we find some some people on the West Coast that are, that are a good fit, we'll definitely engage right. them. Why add variables if you don't need to, though, right? Right. Yeah. right. 
because we are exclusively doing defense work, we aren't going to have people halfway around the globe in what we do. Uh, so we won't have that complexity. I think we'll have everyone in the three time zones yeah. there. Or so I mean, Alaska, Hawaii, if you, you know, sure, I'll, t- I'll take somebody there too. But yeah. uh, I'd love to come visit them in Hawaii if we get somebody out there. My experience, my perspective has always been that the best meetings are either all remote or all in person. That the ones where they're 50% in person or 50% are the most complex ones or the most underwhelming um, meetings. Have you observed that or what's your experience with that? Yeah, uh, sometimes we do really well at that, sometimes not as well. We've definitely invested in some tech to make it equal wherever you are, right? So we have a lot of those meeting cameras that can follow the conversation. Mm, We already have round conference tables, which was uh, had nothing to do with technology at the time and it was just what we picked. But that works well for that. It takes effort, right? You have to continue to work on it. We've had a cameras on rule since March 13th, 2020. Everybody's gotten good at not uh, doing like the squealy feedback when they log into the meetings and stuff now. Like we figured that stuff out. Just like when you're in person, you brush your teeth. Right. right. Like, you know exactly. what I mean? It's like exactly. you have hygiene when you're a person. When you're when you're remote, you don't squeal, right? right? There's different hygiene. Right. right? Exactly. Yeah. And the expectation too, right, is that if you're doing some kind of conversation, you think about both aspects of that meeting. Sometimes we'll plan that like, hey, let's all go into the office this day so it's easier. Like it's easier to draw on a whiteboard when you're all in the room together. Hmm. Um, but you can make a whiteboard meeting work if you've got somebody who's got a sick kid and has to stay home, right? Which which happens. So Yeah, it all depends on what you're compromising for. What's the value of the compromise? Right. What what you're pulling in in order to give up that that thing that you're giving right print. You said the team is 90 people now. That's big. It's a, it's about 90. Yeah. Okay. I don't, I don't know what our exact number is today. Yeah. That's yeah. A, that's a lot of growth over that, over a handful of years. Yes. So that's a, is it mostly engineers? Two thirds engineers. Okay. It's and then business where we are. Right. Yep. Business security, it, yep. HR, all those other yeah. things. Cool finance. Sure. I'm curious about the product. What are you guys building? Yeah. Uh, so we're building a, an integration tool. Okay. Uh, so traditionally, it's pretty hard to take, say, uh, a box built to do one thing and integrate it with a piece of software built to do something else. Things are not made to work together. They usually don't plug in. You can think about that with you know commercial technology, right? Your iPhone charger doesn't charge my Android phone. Now, we're not solving that problem. We're solving that type of problem of these things aren't made to work together and they need to. The way that I pitch it when I'm interviewing people, right? I use the phrase rapid integration with confidence. There's a funny story on that too that I could share if you'd like, but what that really means is being able to work with software like it's made of Lego bricks. So I geek out with every engineering candidate on that, right? That I'm interviewing because like, were you a Lego kid? They usually say yes, right? I am a Lego kid. Uh, still in, yeah. in my 30s. Um, but uh, the, I still uh, get invited. <laughs> yes, exactly. But uh, the um, the idea there, right, is can I take pieces of software and build new things with them that I couldn't before or just make a change to them and not break it, right? If I build an airplane out of Legos, I can use the same pieces of that to build a spaceship or a sailboat or something else, right? Or I can, I can make a different airplane. Or I can make the same airplane, but I can change it from red to blue. Still the same airplane. That's really, really hard to do in software. Like insanely hard to do in software. And what you have instead is a lot of companies that just have people manually cranking through it. Armies of engineers sitting there writing code mm-hmm. to glue things together. So practically speaking, what, what we need as a nation, right? And going back to our defense thinking there, we got to be able to adapt our systems faster than we can today. We can't wait three to five years to push software updates to our jets. 
that mm -hmm. kind of thing, which is the state of the art in many ways right now. So how do we get things out there faster with a high degree of confidence? That's the challenge, right? You could ship it quickly, but is it going to work? Is it safe? Or you can make it today, you can make it safe and it takes a while. How do we do both, right? We got to go faster, but we still have to have a high degree of confidence. That's the space that we work in. The fast versus quality versus cheap and the, the manpower and right. The good, fast, cheap, pick two, right? That, yeah. that whole thing, it's been yeah. around forever. Can't take nine women and have a baby in one month. Exactly. I'm not claiming that we have the magic thing that solves that. That, you know, now right. suddenly, suddenly you can have good, fast and cheap. You know, one of the alternatives to that is just throwing more bodies at it, right? But sometimes you can't always just throw more bodies and get work done at that scale, right? right? You have bottlenecks, right? Right. And you run into the situation, well, I mean, hiring's hard for everybody That's right. in, in the industry. Do you have the right skills? Uh, and another interesting thing is, is how do you take uh, somebody maybe straight out of college and quickly get them to the level of somebody that's been doing it a while? And that's one of the that's things right. that we're trying to do with our tool is sort of level up, if you will, everybody uh, as an engineer, right? That the way that a good tool can help you do your job better or help you just focus on the important things. So we've done a lot of work around automation and generating code to glue things together. And what we've found, and I know this even from my prior experience, is you are the expert, let's say, on how to do how to make autonomous airplanes fly. That's you. What you're not an expert on is how to integrate that with all the other systems on the plane, right? Mm -hmm. How do I connect that autonomy to the autopilot, to the mechanical controls and all mm -hmm. that? So you waste a lot of time not doing autonomy, just trying to get your autonomy to fly the plane. And so what we're coming along and saying is, what if you have a tool that can do that part for you, the tedious stuff that you don't like, and you can just focus on the stuff that you're really good at, that a machine can't do, right? Invent this really good autonomy. That's really the one of the I think value propositions that we have is automate the tedious parts of developing software systems. One of the latest articles that you wrote mentioned, I think it was uh, not entirely about your product, Ingram Pro, but it referenced it, the toolkit. Mm -hmm. It mentioned uh, message filtering as a methodology or as, a, as part of the means to securing integration. Uh, what's the implication for that? Or what's the implication of, of, you know, message filtering and how does that impact automation? Thing that message filtering can do, right? As an example of the kinds of things we can generate, it's one, one thing we can generate is it can limit the amount of bad stuff flying around when things are talking to each other. Okay. So there's a cybersecurity benefit to that because now when I'm flying that plane, it's not going to respond to bad directions to do something it shouldn't do. But there's also just an integration benefit to that of when I'm trying to plug these things together and I don't know exactly how they work, they're only going to do what they're supposed to, right? I'm basically throwing away anything that doesn't belong here right out of mm -hmm. the gate. So none of the software gets confused, does mm -hmm. misbehaves. So I'm putting together a conversation I had with Aaron Miller about Galois and one, kind of some of these founding principles of you know having software right. do what it's supposed to do and nothing else. Galois did two original programs that gave birth to the idea of Tangram. Okay. Two DARPA programs. Um, one of them is called Hackums, where they took a, an autonomous helicopter and they hardened it against hacking. Right. Okay. So oh, I saw there's the a video. nifty video. Yeah. yeah okay. We'll Hackums did. Right. Okay. The other DARPA program that Galois worked on was called Sosite. Okay. Which was all about integration and generating adapters to connect things together automatically. Okay. And so our founder, John Launchberry, who's also Galois founder, he was doing a stint at DARPA where he was in charge of these programs. 
And he said, I think these ideas are so good. I want to go back to Galois and I want to help stand up a company that's focused on Hackums meets Sosite, to quote John. That was the founding vision that we have. So yes, that cyber security is baked in. We're trying to do it kind of for free. Like you just get it. It, when you're doing good engineering is the yeah. approach here. Use our tool, you get that stuff for free. Why would you do it for free? I mean, for free as an engineer. You use the tool, you don't have to think about it yeah. anymore. Okay. okay, It's just there. And Aaron, just, Aaron, just should be. Aaron would talk to you about principles and correct by construction and a lot of those words that our friends at Galois use all mm-hmm. the time. What we're trying to do is make it so that you don't have to be an expert in that to take advantage of it. Formal methods like Galois does is brilliant. You need a PhD in it to do it well. Mm-hmm. We're trying to say, hey, you don't have a PhD in that? That's fine. Click this button and you've got it. Essentially productize right. some elements of that. Right. Formal methods in a box, right? You know, right. put it, put a really smart person in a box. That's what we're trying to do. Okay. Pro. Okay. So the next question that comes to mind then is for who? So Tangram Pro sounds like a really cool I'm biased, I think Product, right? I think so. Who's who's buying this, right? Or who should be buying this? Or who should be considering it, I guess? So the tool is designed to be used uh, by both systems and software engineers. Okay. Uh, So the way that it typically works in the industry, right? Your systems engineers do designs of things. Your software engineers write the code for the thing. And then either they, those two, or sometimes separate test groups do the verification. So we're really looking at connecting the dots on all three of those. So our tool can connect into systems engineering tools. There's a, a lot of them out there. In, in our industry, Cameo is a really big name, right? For doing model-based systems engineering. Uh, we can connect into that. We can connect into tools that software engineers use. Tools like GitLab is a big one that, that's used, right? And we're building um, verification capability. A uh, new toolkit that's coming soon that will actually be able to connect the dots between does my design, does my implementation match my design, and can I prove it? Can I show that it does? Okay. Right. So we're re- we're really connecting that thread between design, development, and verification. Interesting. Okay. So the verification layer, uh, the verification tool or product that you're right. putting together is kind of your up and coming. That's what you're building next. Yes. Yep. Oh, so you jumped ahead to one of my later questions. I'm getting ahead of you. So. I know that's good. That's exciting. Yeah, that's so, where my head always goes. Yeah. I'm curious what you guys are building next. Yeah. Doing. So who uses our tool, right? It's people yeah. that are thinking about those separate jobs to be done, right? So it's, am I worried about design? Am I worried about developing? Am I worried about verification and test? Sometimes that's the same person for all three. Sometimes it's not. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's big teams. Sometimes it's not. We've made our tool for collaboration right out of the gate, right? It's cloud native. You know, you can access it from anywhere, right? Security rules matter a lot in our industry. Okay. But uh, if you have network connectivity to our tool, you can access it and use it. Okay. And if you're doing the design work, your work is visible to the developers, which is visible to the verifiers, right? So the idea there is you don't go make a picture in one tool and then just send me the picture and then I have to figure out what to do with it in another tool. And then they, they've got an Excel file over there that says how to test it. And you've got code over there and you've got a picture over there. All that stuff's connected. Mm-hmm. So if I find something in test, you can trace it to see, well, here was the problem in code or it didn't meet that requirement from the design. So you've referenced your industry. Are you speaking of the defense industry? Yes. Okay. Your 
product is particularly of interest to the defense industry because of the nature of kind of the no-fail nature of the systems being built in the defense industry? Yes. I mean, it, our product's been targeted at the defense industry. It doesn't mean it's irrelevant elsewhere. Right. right? It could be relevant in healthcare. Maybe we made, anywhere you have exactly. critical systems. These integration problems are everywhere. We made the intentional choice as a company to focus on DOD first but not necessarily forever. You know, somebody comes along with, hey, you were talking about that, like I need to connect these things together and I'm struggling to do it quickly. And they're thinking about internet of things. They're thinking about medical systems. They're thinking about automotive or something. Mm -hmm. I love to chat with them yeah. um, because I think what we're doing can play. But, True. you know, we're a 90 person company. We can't do it all today. That's right. But we're looking for those partnerships to help us right. figure those out. Putting fleets of vehicles on the road, obviously there, right. there is a critical no-fail aspect to that. Right. right? right. Controlling autonomous vehicles or yep. operating healthcare systems. Right. Or there's all kinds of places where there's a no-fail element to it and you want some integration done and you need some validation. And so you want all yep. the systems done. And complexity is a big part of the problem. And it's why you need tools, right? When systems were simple in the past... You could keep that mental model in your head as an engineer. As things get more and more complex, it's just impossible for the human brain to manage it. I mean, even in my car, right? It's a six-year-old car out there. The complexity of the software and the hardware in that car far exceeds any one person's ability to keep track of it. And I'm not talking about an F-35, right? I'm just talking about a car in that case. There are just so many lines of code, so many systems, so many connections. Uh, we're really at a point... I think in our technology development in the world, right, where we have to have tools to help us with these things. How much bandwidth do you have to talk to people in other industries? Because I'm, I'm, I'm actually kind of intrigued to introduce you to people and see what happens. I, I would, <laughs> I would love to have a okay. chat. Yeah, I, I love to just put smart people into. Uh, yeah, it's, it's like uh, you know when you watch chickens fight or whatever. Like, <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> That's or a chicken fight like, for you, huh? right? When I'm like, <laughs> you know, when you right, yeah. Uh, some people like to watch UFC fights or whatever. Uh, like those guys could both kill me. That's how I feel yeah. about smart people. I'm like, what? What happens if these two smart people just start talking and the fireworks go off? Yeah. That's how I feel. Sometimes. Yeah, I always enjoy a good, a good chat like that. Yeah. Nothing else. It stretches me, and it probably stretches the other person a little yeah. bit. How That's are you right. thinking about these problems? I had a uh, an antidote on that. We we talked to somebody in a completely different industry, and they were describing their problems, and they were using words like mission critical, uh -huh. um, and legacy software right i have i have all this old code and no one knows how it works or only one person knows how it works and he's about to retire and if my system goes down it's mission critical i felt like i could have been sitting in an air force customer's office sure. talking about their fighter jet but this was not a fighter jet this was an industrial system okay <laughs> it's yeah. like Oh, they're cranking out widgets or whatever. Right, Same right. language though. Yeah, yeah. And the food industry, they're thinking about these things. And it's just like, huh, that's the same words. Yeah. You know, and, and those are the kind of problems we're trying to help respond to. That's the thing though. It applies every, I mean, whether it's, you know, the aviation or whatever, there's so many places where right. absolute critical systems do apply. Right. It's not just, you know, sending missiles or and transporting right. troops or whatever. There's a lot of places right. where safety and security are critical. Or just where, you, where you've got to go faster and how you can deliver, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's a, that's a big part of, I think, where we play too. How, right. how do you deliver what you have faster? Even legit, even groceries, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like logistics being delivered during a pandemic or whatever, right? right? Like you just can't have, you know, the supply chains being shut down. Right. Um, and so there's there's various forms of critical systems. So what's the state of that kind of next 
leg that you guys are working on? Yeah. How far along is that? Are, are, are we whiteboarding about it or are you building no, our, it? We're or building. Polishing it. We're, we're building. Okay. Yeah. So our, I mentioned so today, Tangram Pro is available with the designer and a developer toolkit, right? I kind of talked about those three jobs. Those two, buy them today. We'll deliver it. We'll get you going. Nice. Uh, the verifier toolkit is coming at the end of Q3. So oh, we are wow. actively building it. You know, we, we've been working on prototypes for this for a couple of years. It, it's good stuff, right? This nice. is the polish. Okay. To, to get that to the finish line. And some of that integration with other tools is another thing that's coming soon. We've had a lot of people asking in particular, can you integrate this with Cameo? In the DoD industry, that is the modeling tool of choice right now okay. for systems engineers. So we're coming with that feature as well by the end of Q3. We've already got great working prototypes of that as well. It's also a polish activity. This is gonna, I think, greatly expand what our tool can do and how it can help people. Is there a particular acquisition cycle or deadline of some sort that's driving the end of Q3 or is that based on your expectation for features? That that's our roadmap, right? Okay. We are trying to operate on a, on a commercial product roadmap basis where we set our priorities. Um, this is something we've wanted for a long time and we we set the goal of getting it out by the end of the quarter. Congrats. Yeah, I that, did I just jinx you? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's been a big year for us on quarterly milestones, right? We officially started this toolkit approach. We used to sell our product as a single package. Had everything or nothing, right? That was your choices. Yeah. And we decided, man, our users really want to be able to say, well, I want your code generation today. But this user just wants your design stuff, right? Mm -hmm. How can we split that up? So we launched toolkits in Q1. In Q2, just a few weeks ago, we launched 2.0 of our mm -hmm. software. We made massive leaps for it. 1.0 was in the summer of 2019. So it was time for 2.0 and we launched that. Q3, we've got these exciting toolkits coming as well. So it's it's a big year for us at Tangrub for sure. How would you describe like the overall state of the business um, in terms of like customer size and kind of your revenue goals or your growth objectives, I, however you would kind of describe yeah. your, I mean, we, your objectives. We want to continue to grow as a company. We have had significant growth both in team size, but in revenue over over that five-year yes. cycle that we've been. We're really in that, like, we're not a startup anymore phase, okay. but we're also not a like steady state company either, mm -hmm. right? So we're still in, in that growth. We intentionally chose to focus on a company that does services and product. That's something a little bit unique, right? Some companies are all product or all services. Right. And we said, well, we're going to do services work always. And that, by the way, will give us stability as we try to f get our product to fit in the market. So where we are right now is we're pretty good at the services thing, right? We, we know how to do that that work. And we're trying to get our product to really take off. I mean, we're we're dreaming big on it taking off. We're getting some good traction, um, but we're looking forward to that just really taking off in the right. future. Still kind of ch chasing that and plugging it in right. to figure out exactly where it fits. Right. And we're going to keep growing that services thing too. I mean, we're not going to abandon any of our customers. We're going to keep adding more to that. When you hire a really smart team, they're good at helping with lots of problems, right? And that's one of the things I'm proud of that we can do. But yeah, growing that product piece is kind of one of the areas we're really leaning into. Well, and then adding to your product suite with this kind of new release or whatever right. will help with that, right? Because it adds more options for your customers. And it sounds to me like you're kind of completing the portfolio for your consumer, right? Right. That they now got a fuller life cycle of, of yep. product. Exactly. To engage yeah. with. I guess something else I should point out when I talk about that too is some of the users of our product are our team. So one of the things that we do is, hey, we'll help you with your project. We're going to use our tool and our team to solve your problem. Mm. 
And really, that's true of kind of any customer or partnership we approach. What's the right mix of tool and team to do your job? That is actually very beneficial to us too, selfishly, that okay. we're adding new capabilities because it helps us service our customers better as well. Sure. So you can complete a project and then your customer now knows how to utilize this tool and they're kind right. of like ingrained. Right. And they're smarter with it and they know better how to use right. it. And we have customers who will say, I don't care how you do it. Just do this job for me. Make this thing work. Okay. Well, we're going to use our tool to do it. They say, that's great. Right. Some of them are like, show me how to do it in this tool because I want to take it over myself. Right. Mm. You know, some might say, give me your tool. That's all I need, right? Just train me how to do it. I've got it. We've got that whole spectrum of solve my problem, give me your tool and everything in between. Have you heard of that book, uh, Jobs to be Done? Yes. Yeah, yeah. We've, uh, we've used the Jobs to be Done framework uh, to help think about our product market fit. Yeah, that makes sense a lot for the the consulting product hybrid, right? Mm-hmm. Like, does it re- At the end of the day, I have a problem that needs to be solved, right? right. Or I have a job that needs to be done. And whether right. you sell me a product or a person or some combination of it. I think I even said it before at Jobs To Be Done when I was talking about design, develop, and verify, right? Mm-hmm. So I blurted it out. There you go. I feel like the best part about that book is the title. It's like a one paragraph book. Uh-huh. It's like one of those things, like it kind of makes sense just in one paragraph. I haven't read the book, but I, I know about the framework. It's good so. enough. <laughs> All right. That's I know the, the best framework. part. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, in my opinion, yeah. sorry, author. It's, it's, it's a helpful. <laughs> you framework. made too much sense too fast. <laughs> it's a very helpful framework, and honestly, even the title, like you said, "Jobs to be Done." Like when you think about that, that really changes your perspective on right. a product. Yeah, you're not buying a drill; you're just buying a hole in the in the right. wood. Yeah, you want a hole. That's right. right. A drill. This quarter, obviously, you're going to make a big release. You know, you're running a uh, a bigger company now, still a small company, but it's not a five, ten, it's not a ten person right. organization anymore. So you're obviously thinking ahead a year, maybe maybe more. It's hard to think the ten years. Nobody thinks ten years ahead anymore. But you're probably thinking a year out. Where do you see the organization going? You know, a year, or two years from now. So a lot of the work we've done today has been with the Air Force, and a lot of it's been local. Right. Okay. We're in Dayton. There's a big Air Force base at Dayton. Yeah. Done a lot with AFRL. Um, we're we're really looking to go expand. Um, other parts of the Air Force, outside the Air Force, would like we'd really would like to service all the sectors, right? The Navy, the Army, the Marines, Space Force. Um, and we really would like to build a lot of partnerships with other people working in this industry. Mm-hmm. Right. So contractors, big, small, medium that are also working towards the warfighter mission. Mm-hmm. Help them do their jobs better. At the end of the day, that's that's what we're about, right? Let's let's get the capability to our warfighter quicker mm. um, than we can today with a higher degree of confidence. So we really want our stuff in everybody's hands. That's building things. I'm not real deep in terms of like the acquisition process and, and get, you know government programs and that kind of thing. I I know just enough about it to be embarrassing, I guess, talking about uh, it. <laughs> do you guys do a lot of teaming and partnering with other uh, other organizations when it comes to chasing work, chasing programs? We do both. Okay. Um, we we have some things that, that we service directly to the government, and we're definitely always looking for partnerships there. Uh, we have a good number of those going, and I've spent a lot of time this year trying to build a few more because okay. I think we need them. Yep. So you, do you actually write proposals? And- I do. <laughs> lots of white papers and proposals help out with those quite a bit. I was just talking to somebody. I was at a little startup conference uh, earlier this week, and I was talking to somebody down in Cincy who's got an interesting little startup that does, um, you know, creative writing for research organizations. And, mm-hmm. and I was intrigued by somebody who had a startup that used AI of sorts. I was going to say, are they doing AI with the uh, proposal writing? Right. Yeah, that's exactly what they did. Yep. So I, I asked her, like, have you been engaged at all with? 
the defense world and, you know, folks who are doing um, proposal writing for acquisitions and that kind of that kind of stuff. I'm curious, this is the first conversation I've had since then. Have you been able to use any of the I, I, generative to, stuff? To date, I have not used AI to write any of those white papers that anyone watching this might have seen. <laughs> right. uh, I, could, I can assure that was all my hard work, how, uh, good or bad, right? But how could you not at some point <laughs> right. figure out? Yeah, those. I mean, just, just like every company or at least every tech company, we're watching AI. Uh, we've done some experimenting with it. Some of it's fun, right? Some yeah. people have made fancy images for their projects with right. it, right? Some of that. We played with ChatGPT, uh, both to see can it can it uh, write kind of white paper stuff, but can it write code for us? Right. Um, sure. How might a tool like that work with the tool we're building? Definitely on our mind. Whether or not AI is a high bubble or not right now, it's going to stick around to a degree, sure. right? And it's it's uh, it's going to continue to be important in business and defense and everything. So. We're watching it. In defense, you have to be careful, right? Because you don't want your data going, someone sees it that shouldn't. That's right. Um, and so we can't just grab every AI that's publicly available to do everything we do. But there are ways to use some of it. And there are defense versions of it coming from a lot of other companies too. Speaking of data, I think you mentioned in one of your writings the problems of data validation. The easier it gets to write code, the less likely you are actually to look at and validate the data. That's so true. Right? So that was a really astute observation. And with AI, you're right. barely even looking at the line of code to make sure to, to see how the code is working. Exactly. How likely are you to actually look at the, you know, to validate that the data is, is being pulled right? You know, our friends at Galois are working on a lot of that hard research of how could you do large-scale verification of AI-generated code, right? Mm -hmm. We're saying whether the code was written by AI or humans, it's still so, going to run somewhere. It's still going to you know, be deployed somewhere. We can help you right at that point. Either way, it needs to be. Yeah. It needs a large No matter where it came from. Or some guy distracted with his girlfriend breaking up with him. Or, right. right? <laughs> or, exactly. or an AI that was cut and pasted. Right. They were a trillion or watching whatever. basketball on TV while they were coding at night. You yeah. know, whatever, right? Yeah. Either way, there's a lack of... Attention to the details that matter most. Or just the complexity that makes it hard for anybody to keep track of, right? No matter how good you are. Even if you're trying really hard, it's hard to think of everything. I haven't used it for anything interesting or complex or meaningful, but I've used it for all kinds of garbage. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's fun to play with. Yeah, right? it's fun to play yeah. with. It's great at first draft, which is the thing I'm worst at. Uh -huh. But first draft writing is the hardest writing, in my opinion. Uh-huh. And it's, you know, it's writing the garbage, uh -huh. right? So I've let it write all my garbage. Yeah, like, there you go. And I'll go back and refine. <laughs> so you said before we started recording, you had mentioned that you have done a lot of hiring. And you also mentioned that you guys are hiring is always an objective. Right. And growing customers, building your business, and then also growing your team and, and growing your organization. Right. So tell me a little bit about as you kind of seek to grow your business and expand your customer, your product portfolio, your customer portfolio, build partnerships with other defense contractors. You're obviously need to build your team out. Right. What's your team look like now? Like you said, it's a lot of engineers, mostly engineers. Yeah. What kind of engineers? What's the, right. what's the culture like? And then how do you see that expanding and growing? That's a lot of questions. It is a lot of questions, <laughs> but I can answer them. Yeah. <laughs> One of the decisions we made when we were a 10 person company was to be very intentional about hiring. So we take our mutual fit very seriously. And what we have found is when we compromise on that in the hiring process, it doesn't work out mm -hmm. later on. When we hire anybody that it's a good fit for them to be at Tangram, 
and that it's a good fit for Tankroom to have them there. Our interview process uh, is pretty good at vetting that at this point. We've had a lot, lot of practice on that. And we just said, you know, not everyone's a fit. We're going to say no thanks sometimes. And you can tell us no thanks if it's not a fit mm -hmm. in interviewing. We intentionally have a mix of engineering backgrounds on our team. So we have systems engineers, uh, we have software engineers, and we have people that have done kind of cloud enterprise software kinds of applications or DevOps. And we also have some who've done a lot of embedded software or software hardware kinds of things. So it's really a mix. We're generally looking for people that can do any of those things, right? I'll, I'll always take a good systems engineer, a good uh, engineer who can do C++ code, because um, that's what most of our customers do. I'll always be interested in a, a strong DevOps engineer. But we also sometimes look for more specialized skill sets, depending mm -hmm. on what we're after, too. So it, Which could change depending on a particular project. Right, exactly. We we try really hard not to just hire for one project. We try to hire for Tangram. That's been another philosophical choice we've made. That gives us a lot of flexibility because projects come and go. We want people that can... Oh, my project went away. That's fine. Here's another one. Or if they're like, hey, I don't like this project anymore. Can I move around? Yes, of mm -hmm. course. We want to support that. Mm -hmm. So that's that's really our philosophy on hiring a lot. Culture, you mentioned that word, the, the C word. Uh, it's a big deal to us at Tangram. We make a lot of our decisions through a cultural lens from the leadership level at every level of the business. Uh, so we want people to be a good cultural fit when we hire them. If you ever pay attention to my podcasts and my conversations, you'll notice that I never let anybody get away with just talking about culture without defining it. Right. So, so please, I would <laughs> love to talk more about culture because I actually feel very strongly about yeah, changing yeah, nice. that. I like that. Right. So, um, you know, part, part of the culture, right, we have defined values of the company. Okay. And they're not just the kind of values that you put on a poster and you drop you know, drag them out once a year and that's it, right? Yeah. We take them very seriously. So we have three, put the team first, okay. hold to accountability and pursue deep understanding. Those three are used constantly as we make decisions. You know, we're going to make a business decision about should we pursue this opportunity or not? We hold ourselves to accountability on does this align with the vision of the company where we're trying to go? We put the team first. Can we actually execute this, right? Is this going to hurt our team to take this work? What's going to help our team to take the work? You know, we pursue deep understanding from what our customers need, from what we need. How does that work together? Uh, that's just an example, but we frame yeah. all of our decisions through those lenses. That set of values helps guide the culture as we're making choices, but we've also made a lot of choices all along to really try to take care of our people mm -hmm. um, and that we care about our people. And lots of companies will say, oh, our people are the best, right? And then there's a varying level of how much they, they stick to that or not, mm -hmm. right? You know, it's everything from our benefits are very friendly. We we have very uh, generous leave policy, that kind of thing, to, to just the more practical. All of our supervisors, you know, hey, my kid's sick. I'm going to have to deal with this. Or I got a flat tire on the way to the office or whatever. Sure, take care of it, right? That's right. Uh, you know, it, it's we're all adults here. Um, is is kind of the way. That's how Aaron Miller would phrase that, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, we, we think that's very important at yeah. Tangram. We trust you. You're part of our team too. We trust you. And we want you to to contribute like you're mm -hmm. a team member, right? Mm -hmm. Like the other cultural thing that as the company's grown, you, you talked about my role changing. I tell every new engineering hire, like I am a human being too. 
please talk to me the same way that you would to another human being, right? Mm -hmm. Here, I am not up here and you're not down there. I don't want a company that works that way. Mm -hmm. And that's reflected in our office, right? I mean, we have an open office. Everybody's desks are together. Mm -hmm. My desk is the same as everyone else's desk. CEO's desk is the same, right? Mm -hmm. You know, no one has a private office. Just gets a little loud sometimes uh, (laughs) when we have a lot of people in, but you know, we work remotely as well. We try really hard to take care of our people is a big part of our culture. I always think it's a good sign when organizations treat leadership as an indication of levels of responsibility, not an indication of levels of authority, mm-hmm. right? You know, leadership is a, is a burden, not, you know, not a weapon. It's not something that comes with a bunch of privileges. It's something that it, it probably comes with some compensation, it, which it should, you know, for levels of responsibility, right? Yeah. But it's not something that comes with more weapons and more, you know, more, more power as much as it comes with more responsibility. You're the person who gets the traumatic event is the one it wakes you up at 11 o'clock at night. Right. Um, somebody passes away. You're the one that gets the call on the Sunday morning sure. or whatever. Right. That's the kind of thing that leadership and some leaders get that and some don't. Your reference to the, you know, sharing the desk space with the team or whatever. It's just a small thing. It's a right. symbol. But those little things do matter. A lot of leaders fail to appreciate that. Your culture really is primarily defined by you, the leader, your reputation, your character. Yeah. Right? And how they view you and your, you know, your CEO sure. and other leaders, right? right? Your reputation with them. On that leadership front too, a number of us have done, we did as a group, uh, leadership training at Aileron. They've got a different levels of how to do decision-making mm. process that they have. And that's been helpful to have common language because in general, we try to do consensus decisions where we can. They call that a level five decision. But sometimes you get stuck, right? And a business can't stay trying to do consensus forever. You will die, right? right. Um, So we have clear owners of who makes the, as they would call it level three decision, right? Of we're going to move forward with this one, right? Mm -hmm. I'm making the call, right? Yep. And that's been helpful language for us to use as a company uh, yeah. to talk about it. But it's also helpful to clarify, right? We're starting with that consensus as much as possible. But if we're stuck, here's the person that makes the level three decision yeah. to move it forward. And it, it might be me on a technical and it might not, right? Mm-hmm. It might be that we have clarified it's this person or that person yeah. to move it forward. I like that too. I've I've worked for a very large organization that, that failed at, at having that kind of uh, system in place. And there was very seldom a, it's on me level of responsibility, even with the most senior of leaders. Mm-hmm. And it created a lot of very slow decision-making. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a Titanic kind of, you know, just like we're, we're, I'm looking at our death in front of us and we can't avoid it. I got this right. decision. I own this. Right. Yeah. That's a very responsible kind of behavior. So yeah. That's smart. And that helps with that cultural thing too, right? Because it's... That's the accountable part. Right. That's one of your... That's right. one of your values. Right? And as a team member, it's frustrating if you don't know who's making the decision and you're stuck because no, it's not clear that someone's owning it. It's also really frustrating if somebody's coming in and telling you what to do all the time. Right? Mm-hmm. We don't hire people that want to be told what to do all the time. That goes against our hiring, right? We try to be in that middle space as much as possible. Well, we're um, kind of running toward the end of time. So I'll ask two last things I kind of like to end with is um, as you think about this kind of year ahead, Kind of big goals, both in kind of growing your kind of customer base, your partnerships, your, your your staff. What do you see as your biggest challenge? And then what's your hope and your goal, your plan, 
to overcome those those challenges. Boy, that's a hard one. You're safe for last there. <laughs> the stinger. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you start throwing things, we'll have Emerson right, cut yeah. it out. No, I'll use some like cop-out interview answer. Oh, well, my, my, big, my biggest fault is I care too much. Right. You know, yeah, something like that. <laughs> if you storm out, we'll just we'll edit it out. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, uh, you know, the the challenge of, of doing it all, I think, is is one that I feel right now, right? We have a big vision of what we're doing, right? And we are making great progress on it. The market is always changing, right? So we're aiming for, we think this is what the tool needs to do based on all the feedback we have, based on what our customers that we're servicing tell us. What if that's not right in a year or five years? What if AI isn't a hype bubble and it really disrupts the entire industry, right? I think in the defense world, we think, well, what if the uh, geopolitical climate changes in a big way all of a sudden, right? You know, that has nothing to do with software or anything we think about all day long. Uh, so those are always, I think, on our mind. I think of the things we can control, the big challenge is just, you know, we have historically been a small business in Dayton. And uh, there are lots of people in Dayton that, that know us. How do we get known elsewhere, right? How do we get our name out there? That's mm -hmm. That's a big thing. We're, we're trying to take some steps towards that on thought leadership. You've referenced a couple articles I've written a few times, right? Those are intentional steps to have something outside of, well, you talk to one of our people, right? That the kind of stand alone. So just achieving that growth in and of itself is a challenge. It's really hard to build a business like this, especially when you're doing something new. It's not exactly like something anyone else has done. I'm not coming up with a different grocery delivery service that's just better than everyone else's grocery delivery service. We're doing something that's not quite in existence yet, which is great. It's exciting, but it's hard. It takes a lot of work. Because nobody's searching for it, right? Like nobody right. knows that they right. that they're, that this solution exists, so they're right. not out there looking for this solution and they're not always fully aware of the problem until you point it out to them mm. and then they say oh yeah of course i have that problem but i didn't realize that anyone could solve that problem for me yeah that's what we run into a lot you guys are working on something that i mean that can change the world so it's, I, that's the dream yeah you know so, you asked about hopes and dreams like that's it that we that we make the impact the impact that we want to make safer more secure systems out there fielding capabilities to our warfighters at the speed of relevance making it easier to do good engineering, uh, however you want to phrase it, right? That's Those are the things that honestly get me out of bed in the morning and why, why I work so hard at doing Tangra. Well, Matt, we'll, I'll do my best to get this word out to everybody that I can. Sure. Appreciate you, you being on the show. Yeah, All appreciate right. it. Yeah. Thanks a lot. All right.